Welcome to another episode of People with Passion for Pets. Today, my guest on the show is Dr. Lori Kozier. She is an integrative and functional medicine veterinarian who's made it her mission to educate pet owners about natural dog care. She is also the author of A Holistic Vet's Guide to Vaccinating Your Dog. Hi, welcome, Dr. Lori. Welcome. Hello. Nice to see you. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, Dr. Lori, before we start talking about vaccinations for dogs, I wanted to ask you, could you explain to um, our audience, what does it mean when you say you're an integrative and functional medicine veterinarian? So, in a nutshell, we're proactive. Conventional medicine is reactive. That's the Perfect. simplest way to, to consider it. We're yeah, very big on focusing on the individual as a whole. So we don't just wait for the dog to get sick and then throw some medications at it. We func focus on food, on lifestyle, on activity, on things we can do to strengthen the body and take a proactive approach towards preventing disease rather than being reactionary. We like to use all the tools at our disposal, ranging from conventional Western medicine to alternative techniques, whether that's acupuncture, herbs, supplements and nutraceuticals, physical therapy modalities, laser. Um, we want to run the full gamut of uh, approaches and integrate them into a treatment plan for the individual animal. And Dr. Lori, you wrote a book a few years back called The Holistic Pets Guide to Vaccinating Your Dog. And that's yeah. kind of how I came across you. Oh, um, that's, and that's so cool. Yeah. So um, it's uh, such a great topic, I think. And more and more people are maybe questioning if we are vaccinating our dogs too often, what's really yes. needed, when is it needed? Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to maybe focus today on. That book was written, I don't know, 10 years ago. Uh, so it's not up to date. There's no mention of dog flu in there. So please be patient. Don't rush out and buy the book. I'm working on a way to put it into an online class so that I'm able to continuously update the information easily and people don't have to go buy another paper book. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. So it used to be that they wanted you to vaccinate the dog every year. One of mm -hmm. the things I like now, at least, it seems like um, I'm being told every three years. But from your perspective, um, the the basic vaccinations, are are we vaccinating our dogs too much? Um, I think every three years is too much for most dogs. And I think we're approaching it the wrong way. Rather than just making a blanket protocol. So I like to take an individualized approach and use titer testing to determine if a dog needs another vaccination. So a titer test is a measure of antibodies in the bloodstream. And if there are antibodies present, we know the individual is immune, that they have mounted a response to the vaccine and done the immune system's done its job. So we find a lot of dogs will get five, nine, or more years out of a distemper parvo vaccine. Mm -hmm. So even that, that every three years, it's better than one year, 
but it still may be more than you need. And you're not going to make the dog more immune by giving more vaccine. You're wasting the owner's money and you're putting chemicals into the dog's body that are potentially harmful. Most people don't realize that vaccines in the fluid of the vaccine, not only are there virus particles or whatever is the active part of it, but there's something called adjuvant. An adjuvant, it might be an antibiotic, a heavy metal such as aluminum or mercury, formaldehyde, other things that kind of irritate the immune system and make it more reactive, make it do its job faster and harder. But we don't need to put those in the dog if we don't need to vaccinate him. Right. You know, one of the things I've always wondered too is I have um, a little Jack Russell Terrier. She's 10 pounds and and she had, when she was very little, she had a very adverse reaction to uh, these Mm -hmm. vaccinations and it was very scary um, I often wonder why are we giving the same amount of vaccination to yeah. like a 10 pound dog that we give to a 150 pound dog? I mean, it's the same yeah. amount. Is the, the conventional vet answer to that is because we're not vaccinating a dog by the pound, we're vaccinating an immune system. However, I would disagree. And I think there should be a dosage per unit of body size because the adjuvants. So if I, let's take medically, you know, 10 units of mercury are in this rabies vaccine. Well, if I put those 10 units in a hundred pound Great Dane, that's one unit per 10 pounds. If I put it in your dog, that's one unit per pound. So all those extra things, which are potentially what really caused the reaction, need to be sized down, I think, for a smaller dog. Now, the number of either weakened virus or virus particles that shows the immune system what they need to recognize and and fight, that probably is the same dog to dog. But that's only one component of the vaccine. Now, there is one company out there that has decreased the volume of vaccine for all dogs to one scale instead of one. Um, I forget the company, but anybody can look up one half mil distemper vaccine. And I think that's a step in the right direction in that they're using less extra stuff that's potentially reactive. So from your recommendations, what you would like to see then is have the dogs initially vaccinated for their puppy shots, but then rather than vaccinating just on a regular schedule, do the tighter testing and then say based on this, okay, my dog is still protect it because I still see antibodies and it doesn't need. And then how often would you say the titer test should be done? In a, in my world, I titer once, once I've proven what we call immunocompetence, which means the dog received the vaccine and became immunized. That means immune or able to fight off the disease. I'm done because I know I also created memory cells and memory cells contain the blueprint of how to make the antibodies against, say, parvo. So some people like to repeat titers more frequently than never. Um, I think it's a waste of money. And let's say you get that dog who you titered every year, and at age 10, his antibody level dips below threshold. Are you going to vaccinate him again? I wouldn't because I know he has memory cells. So I think repeating titers only creates confusion. So I want to demonstrate a good antibody response initially, and then I'm done. 
Okay. And so when would you recommend your first titer test um, would happen? I, in a perfect world, I would do that four weeks after the last puppy vaccine. Okay. And people can go to my website, healthydogworkshop.com. And if you scroll through the blog, you will see my vaccination protocol and it's a free PDF download. So okay, you can great. have this all in writing. Um, okay. Well, but we'll be sure to link that for our will, viewers will, in the description yeah. below. Yeah. So everyone can have it. That's perfect. Okay. So yeah. let's talk specific vaccinations because of course there's such an array of different things. Are there, are there certain things that you think um, people actually don't need at all? Like for instance, yeah. I, I sometimes wonder about um, kennel cough, you know, because my mm -hmm. dogs are never going to go to doggy daycare and I'm not going to board yes. them. So I kind of wonder, do I really need kennel cough? Correct. Um, with regard to Bordetella vaccination, Bordetella is one of the organisms that causes kennel cough, but it's not the only one. There are literally hundreds of bacteria and viruses that affect the respiratory tract of dogs. And kennel cough, as we call it, now they call it kennel cough complex, um, is essentially the dog's version of a common cold. So vaccination against it is very difficult because we only have one or two organisms covered in that vaccine whether you're using the injectable or the intranasal. Um, my personal advice is don't waste your time on the oral. It seems to be the least effective of any mm. of the types. Uh, I, if I had to do one, I would do the intranasal. But um, it's no guarantee your dog won't get kennel cough. It may make it less severe. Mm -hmm. um, probably the best thing for your dog is constant low-level exposure to other dogs so they can acquire immunity without getting the disease. The American Animal Hospital Association, which is a very conventional group, um, they divide vaccines into core and non-core categories. The core vaccines are vaccines that pretty much every dog should have. And the non-core style vaccines, much as you just mentioned, the kennel cough vaccine, or let's say the rattlesnake venom vaccine for the folks in California, or are there rattlesnakes in Arizona? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Great. <laughs> I, I don't like snakes. I'm not a snake person. <laughs> um, so, you know, those are, are special and not every dog needs them. So the core vaccines in my world are rabies and distemper parvo, because those are those diseases are pretty much universally everywhere. Rabies has the distinction of being the only legally mandated vaccine in all 50 states. Um and it's a disease that can be spread to humans. So we definitely want to protect our dogs from that. You know, I'm usually putting that at the end of my puppy series. And of course, observing whatever state laws mandate. Typically, the first rabies vaccine is good for one year and mm -hmm. subsequent ones can be good for three. Right. And we know it lasts longer than three years, but science, the law has not kept up with science. So you have to follow the state laws. Now, distemparvo is a different type of vaccine in that it's modified live or what we call infectious. The viruses in it have been weakened so they can't kill disease, but they multiply in the body and act just like the disease virus does. So it's almost like giving your dog the disease without the clinical signs. And that takes effect more quickly than rabies and produces a longer lasting response. Uh, research by titer, nine to 15 years is, is Ooh, wow. common. 
So potentially once through the puppy series, and you should do two and you should verify that the dog's immune system responded, you could be done with that dog for life. Um, now, is know. there something legal that uh, the results of a titer test could be used as proof of vaccination? Um, well, remember, the only we're, we're talking about rabies then, because that's the only mm -hmm. legally mandated. Most states will not accept or most jurisdictions, towns, counties, mm -hmm. what have you, will not accept a titer of a vaccination. A couple do. And I think Delaware has been one of the most progressive in opening their eyes to the science. Mm -hmm. um, it makes no sense to me because, for example, if I want to take a dog to a country that's rabies free, um, they want a titer. They want to prove that the vaccine did its job and that the dog's immune system did its job. So it's accepted for international travel, but it's not accepted for mm. having taking you to a state park where they want to see a rabies certificate. Mm. But Crazy. there are people... There are people working to change that and to say, you know, um, this is as good as sticking something in. And in fact, better because it's scientific proof of immunity. Right. Yeah. Because as, as several people say, vaccination does not automatically equal immunization because about 5% of dogs fail to respond to a vaccine. Mm, interesting. So, yeah. And, you know, you can't predict who that dog is. Um, we knew what back in the early 90s when parvo virus was so common, we knew that Rottweilers, pit bulls, Dobermans seem to not respond as effectively to the parvovirus vaccine as did other breeds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were overrepresented. But, you know, if you just titer them at the end of their puppy series, you would identify those and give them another vaccine or try a different vaccine to verify protection. What do you think about uh, something like lepto? Is, is that something yeah. that. Um... Lepto, lepto would be a non-core vaccine. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a big lepto vaccinator, but we don't have a lot of lepto around here. The virus um, actually it's a bacteria. I misspoke. T it tends to live in stagnant water. Mm -hmm. And the temperature of that water needs to be above 50 to 55 degrees consistently. And it's a spirochete bacteria, usually carried by wildlife. So it's passed out in the urine. So the deer or fox or what have you urinates. It gets in the stagnant water because there's water laying around. It's a swampy area, what have you. And the, the uh, spirochete lives there. And then your animal comes along and drinks water from that or feet wet and then licks it and becomes infected. So the vaccine is typically only effective against three or four strains of lepto. Mm -hmm. And there are over 250 strains. So to me, it's kind of a false sense of protection. And oftentimes it does not completely protect the animal from it. It just lessens the severity and it doesn't lessen shedding of the spirochete in that dog's urine so and since it's a zoonotic disease we're not completely protecting the human which is one of the reasons why people push it push mm -hmm. the um, because it can affect humans um caught early lepto is treatable uh, you can treat it with just a penicillin-based antibiotic uh, but left untreated it will destroy the kidneys and can be fatal, obviously. 
Yeah, I know that um, we have a lot of people here in our, you know, high country of Arizona where there's a lot of wildlife and um, mm -hmm. obviously because we do have some warm weather, um, you know, yeah. it is something that that comes up quite a bit more often. Yeah. So it's just the case of, do you have swamps? You know, yeah, in uh, some areas. Yeah. Yeah. In, in some, some areas, areas do, you know, yeah. but it's not like, say, Louisiana, where right. you have bayou country and it's it's there. You might you might say, hey, I'll take any protection I can get. Sure. So again, it's that concept of tailoring the program to the individual and assessing risk benefit and then making an informed decision. Yeah. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. So that's really um, a looking at where do you live? What are some of the thing, the risk factors, um, you know, with something, for instance, like lepto, um, maybe you are in the city and you're always taking your dog to doggy daycare, then, you know, things like, um, you know, kennel cough would be probably a good idea. Um, but really taking a look at what's your lifestyle? Where do you take your dog? Mm -hmm. Jim and I, obviously, we always try to research because we we travel a lot with our pets. Right. So right. we want to be sure that it's not just about, you know, here we live in Arizona and what, what might be something that's recommended here. But if we're going to go to another state, um, we'd like right. to find out, you know, what are some of the things recommended there? What do you think about uh, things like heartworm medication? That's something that uh, seems like every vet wants to push on me every time I go well, there. And you know, and, and I feel for the conventional vets. And I mean, I will always say, even though we might disagree on our approaches, we're all in it for the same reason. Um, it really gets me when you see on social media that vets, vets are money grubbing, hmm. you know, used car salesmen, and they're selling me science diet, so their dog will stay sick, and then they make more money. That's not true. I mean, they just, the conventional vet is there to help your animal and their beliefs about what that looks like are just different than mine. Um, so in terms of heartworm prevention, again, it's a risk benefit. You know, what is the risk? Heartworm is spread by mosquitoes. So if you're blessed to live someplace where there are no mosquitoes, you have very, very little risk. Um, you know, I'm here in the Northeast in upstate New York. Um, there's no mosquitoes out here now. We just got through last weekend of temperatures you know, below zero. Mm -hmm. So do I need heartworm protection for my dogs now? No, no. Um, in the middle of July, going up into the mountains by the lake where there are loads of mosquitoes, then yes, it would be wise. Mm -hmm. uh, if you live in the South, you know, Florida, Tennessee, any of the places where we're getting a lot of rescue dogs coming up from, heartworm is rampant down there. So those climates year round up here seasonally desert places where there are no mosquitoes no indication yeah and you know yeah i mean we really don't have mosquitoes here in arizona but you know one of the biggest things that i always hear is that heartworm medication the dog has to be on it all the time and and that's um, been a relatively well, it's relatively uh recent thought by the um I guess it's the World Heartworm Association or the American Heartworm Association. And I've heard lame reasoning that make people stay on it every month so they don't forget it. Hmm. It's like, you know, I think if you're a responsible adult, you can say, oh, it's April 1st. This is when I start heartworm prevention. Mm -hmm. um, and and some people feel that, oh, you will have a warm day and there could be a mosquito. And it's, 
you know, in a warm day in February or whenever we have January thaw, we will have 50 degree days soon. Mm -hmm. And mosquitoes can hatch um, 50 to 55 degrees. Mm -hmm. So, but how high is the risk? I think pretty low. But as we get into spring and summer, then obviously you need it. But yes. Yeah, now, would very- it, is there also titer testing or is there some immunity that um, comes with heartworm medication or no? No, no. Okay. Essentially, what heartworm medication is doing is deworming your dog of the heartworm parasite. Mm-hmm. So, no, there's no. Um, no immunity no. that the system will what there what is happening is worms are becoming potentially resistant to the heartworm medication mm-hmm. and that's not shouldn't be a shocker to anybody you know constant exposure to a drug whether you're a bacteria a virus what have you um you're going to learn to tolerate it yeah many of the heartworm preventatives now are combined with flea and tick medication um, with intestinal worm dewormers and such, and people will justify year-round use for that. And I'm not a big fan of combo products. I would rather give, I'd rather have control over each aspect of what I'm giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people like convenience. The ultimate convenience, which I would advise against, is the injectable heartworm prevention, mm-hmm. which is called ProHeart. Mm-hmm. Um, if your dog has a reaction, you can't take it out of the body. There's no way to remove it. If your dog has a reaction to one of the orals, we can make them throw it up. We can, you know, it's going to pass out. Mm-hmm. We have a better shot than a repositol injection that's going to last 12 months. Yeah, months. that's a good advice, yeah. What about um, the flea and tick that's really popular, I know, in the on the West Coast? The the orals, the isoxazazoline? Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I I think they should be taken off the market. Mm-hmm. They all carry a seizure warning now, and initially they are they are actually not a drug; they're a pesticide. Mm, and yeah. the number the number of reports of dogs experiencing adverse neurological events um, is too high for my taste. And that's not just dogs that had a prior history of seizures; it's it's other dogs that didn't. Uh, so yeah, people love the convenience. I give my dog this and he's good for three months, but I, I think it's, it's not a great idea. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, we traveled much to, you know, places where there's a lot of fleas or uh, scares of ticks like Oregon. And, and I personally prefer natural products like um, cedar wood oil seems to work great. I use it on myself. I use it on the dogs and yeah. Um, but I'm always I'm always looking for a natural way before yeah. I yeah yeah it's important to to protect yourself especially with ticks. Um, I have people using various combinations of essential oils, and I think you just need to identify a good safe product and use it thoughtfully. But yeah, it it does repel, and of course, do a proper tick tick check when you come back from a hike or outdoor time. Well, great. Are there uh, any other vaccinations that uh, we haven't talked about? Um, gosh, we haven't talked about dog flu. Okay. Which, you know, came up recently and after the publication of the book. And dog dog flu or influenza um, has been around for some time. We didn't really hear a lot about it until um, a vaccine became available 
And then suddenly there were outbreaks spreading from a greyhound track that was mm -hmm. on, it was originally horse flu and it, the flu virus mutates pretty much the same as COVID does. Mm -hmm. uh, so it jumps beast bugs and then uh, Chicago had some very serious outbreaks, but it really seems to have died down. I personally have never seen a case of dog flu, um, but you know, it's much like the flu that we would experience. It's respiratory signs, it's fever, it's feeling blah, lack of energy. Uh, many boarding and daycare facilities are requiring the flu vaccine, mm -hmm. um, either the single strain or the double strain, as well as Bordetella. But it's strictly a lifestyle and location vaccine from my point of view. Um, we talked about Lepto. We didn't talk about Lyme, uh, which Lyme vaccine has been around for a while. And it's gotten better, but it's still not a super effective vaccine. Again, at the root, because you're trying to vaccinate against a bacterial disease, not a virus. Uh, it's much easier to make a vaccine to a virus than it is to a bacteria. Sure. So I look at Lyme vaccine as pretty much 70, 75% effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is something you would give every year. So both Lyme and <laughs> can be more reactive than our other vaccines. You know, and in my protocol, I tell you space things out every four weeks. Uh, and obviously, it's an, a vaccine that people who are living in tick endemic areas are going to use. And if you're living somewhere where there aren't ticks, list of things to do. That's great. And again, we'll make sure that um, in the description below the video, we'll link uh, to that PDF so that people can um, get that from your yes. uh, website. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That's going to be a great resource for people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pretty much covered it. So I, I guess what I want to do is maybe talk a little bit about your website where people can find your information because it's not just um, about vaccinations. No, you it's really, um, yeah, you cover so many more things. You're, I know that you're very much into uh, raw feeding and diet for dogs. And, and as you mentioned in the very beginning, um, you want the pet owner to be proactive with the health of the pet and hopefully do that through the right types of supplements and feeding and, and other things right. as well. So um, again, tell people where they can find your website because I know you share a lot of information there. Yeah, I try I try to keep it as up to date as possible. Healthydogworkshop.com. Perfect. And also you'll see a link there to my live event, the Healthy Dog Expo. Uh, so that's coming up this May, uh, May 20th and 21st in Albany, New York. And I have an incredible panel of speakers to for the Saturday and half day Sunday share information, teach you about raw feeding, natural dog health, uh, all sorts of naturally oriented, proactive things you can do. I have an incredible array of sponsors and exhibitors with all sorts of products. I've got everything from CBD to lasers to um, conditioning and fitness equipment. And you can talk to, and of course, foods, an assortment of foods, so you can talk to the people behind the products and learn a great deal about what might benefit your dog. That's so great. That's at healthydogexpo.com. And the two websites, the Healthy Dog websites talk to each other so you can skip back and forth. I can't let you go 
without talking about your pets and i saw oh. on your website you're an, you're an aussie mom as well as I'm me aussie mom. Yes. <laughs> yes. i have so, i have four at the moment oh wonderful and uh they range in age from two to 12 so i've got the the whole and they're all related every every dog here has been born in my house oh that's, that's awesome it it really is it's a special thing um so I have Puck, Fame and Flair and Kindle. Yeah, no, they're fun. They're fun dogs. They're fun dogs. <laughs> well, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Lori. This was uh, very educating and very fun to uh, to talk about that. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people um, that are going to go to the website and find out more information. All right. Take All right. care. You too. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's interview, then please leave your comment below and please like and share it and check out the rest of our interviews, People with Passion for Pets. And until next time, keep your paws on the road.